Cutting through an overload of information to get to the heart of the story. This is The Point. China announces trial visa-free entry for six countries in Europe and Asia. What are the reactions and what to expect next? And a proposal was made in Beijing to mark November 25th as Olympic Culture Day, while people remembered the birth of Pierre de Coubertin, known as father of the modern Olympic movement. What significance could that have on today's world? Welcome to The Point, an opinion show coming to you from Beijing. I'm Li Xin. Exciting news for travelers to China in a significant move toward global, a higher level of global engagement. China has introduced a unilateral favorable visa policy involving citizens from six countries, namely France, Germany, Italy, the Netherlands, Spain and Malaysia. From December the 1st of this year, ordinary passport holders from these six countries will need to apply for visa if they are staying less than 15 days in China for business, tourism, family visit and transit purposes. The policy will be tried for one year starting this Friday on. And this is the latest move in a series of uh, policies in China's pursuit of what it calls high standard opening up. Why these six countries? What have been the reactions so far and what to expect next? I'm very pleased to be joined from Beijing by Rong Ying, Vice President of China Institute of International Studies and from Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia by Arnold Bertrand, a French entrepreneur who lived in China for seven years. Gentlemen, welcome to The Point. First of all, a little bit more details about this uh, new policy on November the 24th, which is last Friday, China's Ministry of Foreign Affairs posted an online statement saying from December the 1st this year to November the 30th next year, citizens from the six countries holding ordinary passports can be exempted from visa to enter China and stay for no more than 15 days for business, tourism, family visit and transit purposes. People from these six countries who do not meet the visa exemption requirements will still need to obtain a visa before entering China. Um, Mr. Bertrand, let me go to you first. So you should be happy about this, aren't you? Uh, sure. As, as a French citizen, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm very happy. I think this is uh, excellent news by China. In fact, uh, this was announced when the the French foreign minister was in China, and she also said it's uh, it's excellent news, and I hope it leads to uh, many French people finally, you know, going to China and discovering the country. Let's take a look at the reasons or the context behind this move. China has been calling for higher standard or promising to the world to have higher standard opening up for quite a long time, but the COVID years was not helpful. In April this year, after the COVID restrictions were lifted during his inspection tour of southern China, Chinese President Xi Jinping stressed once again the importance of remaining steadfast in comprehensively deepening reform and expanding high standard opening up. But Professor Rong, do you see this latest policy announcement as one of the series of moves to implement President Xi or China's promise to opening up to a higher standard? Well, I think very much so. Uh, it is uh, certainly a very concrete uh, sort of a steps uh, and a measure to illustrate, to demonstrate, I think China, not only I think, say 
uh, they, they made the commitment of announcement, but also say do whatever it means. And of course, uh, the visa, particularly entry visa, is, I mean, a kind of a permission, which is regarded as a symbol, as a kind of a, uh, of a sovereign right uh, of, a, of a state. And they say, if I don't like you, if I don't want you, I mean, I don't want what the government permit or permission to enter my country, my territory. But of course, in modern days, in, in, in the days, I mean, globalized world, I think uh, entry visa, visa permissions normally is meant to certainly uh, uh, effect in a way to address the uh, concerns of security. Mm -hmm. And also, I think, meant to is is arranged or normally is also being in a reciprocal basis. Right. Yeah, this is yes. very interesting. Sorry for interrupting. And let me go to Arnold there because uh, this is a unilateral announcement. Basically, China did it on its own without asking um, for reciprocity. Um, well, if country would like to reciprocate, that would be good. But if countries don't, that seems also to be okay with China. Arnold, how do you find this aspect? Yes, um, I think that's actually the most significant aspect of, of the move here. Uh, the, the not asking for reciprocity, I think it's uh, extremely rare. So it's uh, it's a very important gesture by uh, by the Chinese government. Actually, I think uh, in her response to the announcement, the German ambassador um, said that it will be very difficult for Europe to reciprocate because uh, because of Schengen rules. Mm -hmm. uh, so China knew yeah, that exactly. when it opens up unilaterally, it will not get the same level of openness, but yet China did it. Um, I think it is important that uh, we take a look at the context. And here we prepared a timeline of uh, some of the most recent moves, especially after the COVID-damaged years were gone. Uh, in March this year, China resumed issuance of all categories of visas to foreign nationals. So foreign nationals with valid visas that were issued before the COVID years will be allowed to enter China using those visas and various visa-free policies around different regions in, of China were also put back into place. In July this year, China resumed a 15-day visa-free entry for people from Brunei and Singapore. There are other countries still on the list, but hopefully this will come. Also in July, Alipay and WeChat Pay, which are two of the most prominent uh, online payment platforms, they started to accept international credit cards for their platforms. And in November, China expanded scope of its three to six days transit visa-free policies to 54 countries, extending it to Norway. So. Professor Rong, against this backdrop, what are we seeing here? Yeah, I think it's very good for you to take a stop to review the process. I would argue that it is the recent announcement, I mean, of the data visa free uh, uh, for uh, temporarily, I mean, for these six countries. It's a continuation. It's a continued effort by China to open up, to show, demonstrate that it is ready. And it is also very much, I think, uh, wanted to facilitate uh, the uh, uh, interactions between the China on the one hand and, I mean, those targeted countries. And remember, I think uh, you t we talked about the, the relaxation of the transit visa. We talked, I think we also have to mention that there are some already have some special arrangement for some special area. For example, Hainan, if one travels to Hainan, normally, I mean, in Hainan, you can enjoy, I mean, some 
visa uh, relaxation or visa right. uh, sort of even visa free. So if we take the, the holistic view or take the process, uh, I mean, the past years of opening up China reform, opened up, this is a continued process. Uh, this is a very concrete demonstration of China is more confident, is more open, and is more ready to embrace, I mean, businessmen, travelers, and whoever, I mean, we feel necessary. Hmm. This is very much uh, okay. a, 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 yeah. a significant. Uh, Businessmen and women, let's put it this way. <laughs> Anna, <laughs> let me, Anna, let me ask you this. You have been fighting disinformation and misinformation against China on international media platforms. There has been a lot of it and COVID didn't help. What kind of ramification do you think this move may have on China telling its own story or, or letting people know the real China. Yes, so um, like the the previous guest was saying, it's, it's, it is a show of confidence. It's, uh, it's a way for China to say, we are part of the country we've built, come see for yourself. It's uh, in a way a desire to educate people about China, to demystify it or de-demonize it because uh, I think uh, there has been quite a, a big demonization uh, enterprise in the West on China. So it's, it's China telling people the country is quite different from what you've been told. Uh, so why don't you come and see it with your own eyes? There are lots of talk about people to people exchange from the Chinese government, mm -hmm. which I, I think uh, the government rightly sees as a way to you know, improve relations and improve its images because uh, it's very easy to sort of uh, understand China in a very abstract way, understand the people of China, yeah. you know, through concepts that you read about in, in the press. But once you you meet people, you see faces, you learn names, uh, it's, uh, it, it completely changes your, your image of the country. It humanizes the people yeah. and... Uh, you know, you can't you can't really fear or hate uh, people. You simply see other human beings instead of just concepts. Yeah. Well, one of the things that people were complaining, and uh, to my personal knowledge, was the paperwork. You know, the the forms to fill out and yeah. and, and the very um, difficult pro processes. You have to an appointment here, and then you have to pay, submit your paper, and then you have to pick up your paper at another day, and sometimes you have to travel. So, Arnold, in terms of that. Um, what kind of improvement are you seeing there? I'm seeing that the paperwork, the, the, the formalities will also be greatly reduced. And that's a great thing for friends of China as well, such as you, isn't it? I mean, I'm saying I'm speaking for you now. What is your point? Uh, yeah, I mean, of course, there is simply uh, no paperwork anymore. I mean, if you stay less than, than 15 days. So that's, uh, that's excellent. Um, after I think even for uh, if, if if you stay further, uh, there was also a recent announcement by the by the Chinese government that uh, there will be less paperwork for these two. Uh, so all these moves are that's great. Are, are very yeah. good. That's yeah. great. Well, let's take a look at some of the reactions and uh, goodwill for goodwill. The French Minister for Europe and Foreign Affairs, Catherine uh, Colonna, thanked, and she thanked cardially the Chinese side for facilitating the visit of the French people to China and said France will continue to prioritize cultural and people-to-people -people exchanges. Actually, uh, they have uh, 
announced decided in return to allow Chinese students who earn master degrees in France to stay in the country for five more years to facilitate exchanges. That's according to uh, AP reports, but we look at the uh, French original, which is fairly accurate. And Malaysia also decided just earlier this morning, it was announced to grant 30-day visa-free travel for Chinese citizens starting December the 1st this year. And the German ambassador to Beijing, although not being able to promise the same thing in return, she did say that they will make it easier for Chinese applicants of German visas uh, to wait a bit shorter. So, Professor Rong, how do you look at these waves of reactions of, to China's unilateral gesture? Oh, certainly, I think these are very friendly. Uh, gestures and friendly responses uh, to China's uh, move. I have to say that as a Chinese, as a scholar I mean, who travels a lot, we're expecting that more uh, coming, even though at this moment, I think it, we can understand that because of some of the constraints or restraints. I mean, for example, talking about Europe, but I would uh, expect that uh, more favorable, more facilitations would come. And having said that, I would add one more point that uh, if for a frequent traveler, I mean, the entry uh, at a point, the services or, I mean, the process is also very much important. I would be proud to say that as far as I, my personal experience is concerned, I mean, entering China should be, is been the most, I mean, friendly and uh, efficient one. Well, I've been run into many difficulties. I mean, in some countries, I'm not going to name it, mm. but <laughs> take a long queue, lot of questions. I mean, lot of unnecessary, I think, uh, step, yeah. which can easily regarded at least, at least unfriendly, but and in most cases were regarded as a bias or prejudice and a particular community. So China is very much open. China has done great. And China, I think, uh, is ready to open up to welcome friends and welcome travelers. Certainly that message is out there, but uh, what are the next steps? What can we expect next? For instance, just now we were talking about the German ambassador's response. Um, Madam Patricia Floor said on the same day on international social media that it was a joyful occasion for relatives and friends of people living in China, for business, tourism, German-Chinese associations and other bilateral projects. Um, facilitation, she said, for Chinese nationals traveling to Germany in Europe are only possible, however, through a joint decision of all members of the European Schengen Agreement. Therefore, Germany hopes that the Chinese government will implement the measures announced today for all EU member states. And this would be an important improvement of our citizens' mobility, enabling deeper personal, cultural and economic relations between China and the EU. Arnold, how do you look? Well, she is stating the fact. Right, she's stating the fact because for, for, for European countries, for the Schengen area to extend visa-free entry to China, China needs to do that to EU. How do you look at uh, the possible next steps here? I mean, it's, it's interesting uh, that she said that. I'm, I'm not exactly sure if what she means is uh, if China extends this to all EU member states, then the EU will do the same. Uh, if she's suggesting this, uh, it's... Uh, yeah, well, I, think I don't think she's in the position to do that, right? I mean, she's yeah, not speaking. Exactly, yeah. yeah, but she yeah, says uh, this yeah. is the precondition. Yeah, so uh, it's... Uh, I mean, if we arrive at that end state where, uh, um, you know, Chinese uh, citizens can travel freely to the EU and vice versa, 
I think this would be uh, absolutely ideal. Uh, and I don't know the, the, the behind of the decision uh, by the Chinese government, whether it's a, you know, a first test uh, to see if this can be further extended after to the whole mm. EU. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe it's a step in, 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 okay. in that uh, general direction. Mm -hmm. uh, but if we arrive at that end state, that would be excellent, I think. Um, Professor Rong, how do you look at that? Because this is a one-year trial policy, and China is has always taken this, let's feel the stones, let's find the next stones before we go further. So this is one, one of that. Um, what do you expect next? If this is successful, could China offer this to people from all EU countries? Or maybe that's too much to expect for the time being? At this moment, I think we should let us just I mean, expect something modest. It is true, I think, for China that we have to have to do in a gradual step-by-step -step way. Having said that, I would like to make a point that it is good, of course, I mean, all right for the German ambassador to say that it's hope that treatment will open up I mean, to all the Schengen and all the European countries. But I would argue that the idea to have a Schengen arrangement is to promote, to facilitate uh, travelers, I mean, within travels or, I mean, within Europe. So I don't think it is a good idea to use Schengen uh, arrangement uh, as an excuse to ask more or to, I mean, uh, uh, not reciprocate the unilateral, I mean, friendly uh, uh, gesture by China uh, that has been now provided. Well, to well I hope, countries. I hope they will. So it has to go all the way. Yeah. yeah. Well, I hope they will do more. But right now, it's a very long queue for applicants of German visas um, for, for the Chinese here in Beijing. She said this is going to be easier. Um, let's hope, yeah, other, other ways can be found to reciprocate the goodwill, maybe. I have to leave it there. Many thanks to Mr. Rongying, Vice President of China Institute of International Studies, joining me from Beijing, and Arno Bertrand, a, um, a friend of China living in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia now. We are going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about a proposal to mark November the 25th as Olympic Culture Day. What does that have to do with you? Stay with us. The mother put the porcelain spoon. The mother drew back and poured the little girl back. But the mother did not hear the old voice. The mother. Experience the heartwarming story of a mother's love that knows no bounds, titled The Mother, written by Nobel Prize winning author Pearl S. Buck. It's a story of love, sacrifice, and the universalism of motherhood that transcends race and borders, told through an account of an unnamed mother living in rural China in the early 20th century. Get the audiobook right now at radio.cgtn.com or any major podcast platform. Simply search for the Books and Beyond podcast and key in The Mother. Making room for all opinions and seeing events from more than one side. This is The Point. What's the free trade of the future? A French man gave his answer 131 years ago. 
rowers, runners and fencers are what he suggested to be exported to the world because by doing so he believes the cause of peace will receive new and powerful support. This Frenchman was Pierre de Goubertin, known as the father of the modern Olympic Games. In commemoration of the 160th anniversary of his birth, an activity was held in Beijing to remember him, during which a proposal was made to establish November the 25th as the Olympic Culture Day. Why do we talk about Olympic culture today? What relevance does Goubertin's words have for today's world? I'm pleased to be joined by Lisa Delphi Nairoti, Professor of Sports Management at George Washington University in Washington, D.C., and Dong Jun, a sports business analyst from Beijing here in the studio. But first, let's hear from Maria de Jesus Fernandez, a um, Spanish international student at Beijing Language and Culture University, what she had to say about the proposal. I think the Olympic spirit is to get everyone from every part of the world and making a family. And sports make us a better person. We've been able to not only compete for ourselves or for our country, but also for other people around the world and inspire them to want to, do, uh, to play sports and to have this feeling of community and be together and make new friends. Well, very simple words from um very positive for young person. Mr. Dong, what is your understanding of the significance of Olympic Culture Day? It's not a national initiative, it's not an official initiative, it's an initiative by people who love the games, I guess, but what could be the intention behind such a proposal? Yes, Eugene, I'm also trying very my best to come to terms uh, with um, or make sense of what has happened uh, over the weekend and uh, you know uh, as an Olympic fan as a sports fan I'm happy about everything you know sports fans propose mm -hmm. to uh, maximize uh, their inspiration and what they do but you know all, we have already have an international Olympic day which falls on the 23rd of June every year in addition to that particular day with a lot of activities taking place on that day and maybe that week, do we also need another day of significance? Yeah, what's well, the difference? Remember. What is Olympic culture? Yes, I think that's the key word, Olympic culture. Maybe people think that the International Olympic Day in late June will be primarily about a lot of athletic activities for people to celebrate, but uh, by you know tracing back to the original speech given by uh, Mr. Cooperton, maybe mm -hmm people would be interested in figuring out what's actually behind those words that we can uh, borrow and discuss and so that we can expand what we, we believe in the games and competitions yeah. into other areas of our how, life. How about let's recall those words together first in November 18 to 92. See, I can't even say that name correctly. 1892, that's a long time ago. Pierre de Goubertin's first public call for the revival of the Olympic Games goes, let us export rowers, runners and fencers. This is the free trade of the future and the day that it is introduced into the everyday existence of old Europe. The cause of peace will receive new and powerful support. The cause of peace will receive new and powerful support. So, um, Professor Dong, uh, this does sound very idealistic, right? I mean, to, to talk about peace, to talk about 
um, these nice picture of people coming under the same, uh, behind the same ideal and be friends with each other. Um, is that really possible? Yes, I, I, once again about this proposal, it comes to culture now. I think it's significant because for people with the least knowledge about the Olympic Games, runners, rowers, competitors, uh, football players, would immediately come to their mind, even with very little knowledge about the Olympic movement. But when it comes to peace in that speech, tolerance, compromises, and even choose in conflicting areas, so that's the significance that can, we can discuss about what kind of games universally acceptable to all cultures, to various people of different religions, that they can play the same games by engaging in the same sports, that they can put aside and forget about their differences for a while at least, that we can discuss deeper into this belief and ideal. Why do you think Chinese people have a particular penchant towards the Olympic spirit, towards Olympic culture, towards hosting Olympic Games? Beijing was not just hosting the summer, but also the Winter Olympic Games. Why such identification, let's say, with the movement? I should say that, you know, uh, even the ancient Greek Olympics and also modern Olympics will come, have come to China relatively, not very early to this nation. But it also demonstrated that the, the large population, one of the largest in the world, were so open-minded that they very quickly and immediately received. How, how come? Is there something deep in our blood, in our genes, that resonates with I, this probably? I think led by the most intellectual people in this country more than a century ago and in later decades, people were open to discuss about what has been you know, wrong with our civilization or culture that make us relatively backward compared to the rest of the world. And then people besides you know, science and technologies and other stuff, and they realize that maybe we should physically be stronger and we should catch up with the world. We open to the more advanced world by playing similar games and see our potentials. Is there, yeah, I think that's a great move. And right now the Chinese are crazy about sports. <laughs> I mean, we, we are in big numbers. So They it, have even greater, you know, potential. Yeah, well, but still, uh, I think there is something that the Chinese find. For instance, this idea of choose, this idea of we are competing against each other, but we are friends, we can be friends. I, I see a connection in traditional Chinese culture with that spirit too. Absolutely, yes. And in, maybe in China, so-called Chinese sports, we have martial arts, we have various exercises, and we also would promote the uh, you know, philosophical idea that you should stop where you already secured your win over your opponents, All right. and then sh if not shake hands, and you use uh, gestures to make sure that people will come back to this game peacefully next time. Thank you very much, Dong Jun, for these very interesting interpretations. We, we have to leave it there. And that's it for this special edition of The Point with me, Lucian, coming to you from Beijing. You've got the point.